So can you tell me, <laughs> can you tell me about the moment that you realised when that scene from the Fire Festival documentary was going viral? Oh boy. Um, besides the fact that, you know, I was practically shitting in my pants. <laughs> um, as you may recall from the, from the documentary, or maybe it was more of the press afterwards, literally I'd gone through, I don't know, four or five hours of interviewing with the, with the crew from Netflix and cameras were done and people were packing up. And then I finally kind of said, well, I don't know how the conversation came up, but we started all chatting and I said, well, I'm going to tell you a funny story, you know, and I know you we won't use this, but you know, here's, here's, here's a situation that happened down there. This is going to give you, kind of, you know, a feeling of exactly how crazy it got. And I told the blowjob story. And, of course, not thinking that that would be the main part of the damn documentary. Oh, my word. Right, so you didn't even think that was going to get included? <laughs> no, God, no. I didn't think. And then um, when I told my lawyer, a couple lawyers and a few other people that I had told the story, um, a week later I called Chris Smith, who's, you know, the, the director, um, and I said, Chris, you know, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm comfortable with everything except for the custom story. He's like, Andy, you don't understand. Like, that's the story now. And we, <laughs> have to, have to, oh no, are you sure? I mean, he's like, Andy, trust me, your delivery was so good. So I'm <laughs> that it was perfect. I'm like, Chris, are you sure? So literally Anthony, I mean, it was the premiere in New York City, a thousand people down on the Lower East Side, and I arrive, um, and this was, you know, January 18th or whenever it was, and um, I arrive, and there was a t there were a handful of people of my my compadres from Fire were there, mm. but I really didn't. It didn't click that they were all sitting in the back and wearing hoodies and sunglasses, and they were hiding. I was like, oh well. Not me, you know, Andy King. I was wearing, you know, a bright pink sweater and sitting in the middle of the orchestra with 12 f family and friends and right in the middle. <laughs> and literally, you know, the, obviously you can imagine that it was like PTSD watching the documentary and going, oh, my God, <laughs> I lived through that is unbelievable. And then the scene came up and... I just shrank down on my seat. I was like, oh, no, my poor sisters were there and all sorts of people that were just going, oh, no, everybody was so embarrassed. And when the scene came up, everybody stood up, jumped to their feet and gave me a standing ovation. <laughs> That's amazing. It wasn't until then that I, I honestly thought like, well, I mean, to, to make my decision feel a little bit better, I kept saying to myself, you know, nobody watches documentaries and they don't make any money. So what the hell? So I said it and it's going to be in this documentary, but you know, it'll, it'll be a bunch of theater fanatics that are going to see it. Nobody else. Ha ha ha. And then the <laughs> Netflix around the world, what it's probably been streamed into now, what 60, 70 million homes around the world. I can't go anywhere without people recognizing me. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's obviously all of the memes as well. Oh, my word. And as you remember, I didn't know what a meme was. I thought it was a meme, you know, not a meme. Yeah. And I, had, 
And then suddenly, there's a meme about me every day. And I think, what, I was one of the most popular memes in 2019. I mean, Ellen just raved about me almost every week, all these damn memes. It's like, <laughs> oh, my. So it was a life changer, that's for sure. You know, I mean, I had no idea. Honestly, no idea. Literally, the next day, I flew to L.A., and then I think we did a few premieres at Netflix, and it was a complete mob scene. And then it just kept going, and it didn't matter where I was. It was 100 selfies. It was interviews in every corner, a car stopped <laughs> at the side of the road, beeping. And I thought, oh, my word, my life had changed completely overnight. It was pretty funny. And I wanted to ask you, because I feel like we're kind of at a point now where uh, like kind of the allegations of like sexual misconduct and sexual assault and stuff, um, especially in the workplace and in Hollywood, they're they're very rife at the moment. Um, yeah. How do you kind of see that that incident or that moment fitting into like the Me Too movement and everything? Because I feel like if that was something that was said to a woman, there would be uproar. Whereas with you, we're kind of we're laughing we're laughing with you. Right. Well. I mean, think about it. And for me, as a gay man, um, you know, there's a fine line, right? Um, I cannot tell you how many women have come up to me and literally at large events and at the premieres and wherever and to say, you know, Andy, I cannot tell you um, how wonderful it was to hear you tell this story one of the, like the exact same thing happened to me 15 years ago when my boss came in and said, you need to take Joe, you know, Smith out for dinner. He has the potential of being our, our biggest client and I don't care what you need to do. Just get the job done and close the deal. Right. Uh, and so many women came up to me to say, tell me that story where they literally burst into tears. But then they also said, Hey, congratulations, Andy, because I didn't make a scene about it. I did what I needed to do, <laughs> and I moved on. And, you know, I don't, it's controversial, right? So I can't say too much on that topic. But I thoroughly understand the Me Too situation, and, I, and it's not right, and it's horrible. But most of my story, as you know, was, and I get on stage now, and I speak to, and we'll see, I'm, you know, I'm, I was supposed to be in the U.K., talking to over 30 universities in March and April and into May. Um, and I get on stage in front of 5,000 people and I say, I'm one of the biggest visible failures in pop culture today. And people are like, no, you're not. That was Billy. I said, no, no, I know, but I represent Fire Festival. And, but I said, you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. Mm. And when it comes to my story in the documentary, I basically will say to people, sometimes you need to do whatever it takes to get the job done. You know what? And I, I also say, I'm not suggesting that you suck every dick in the neighborhood right now to make something happen. But you might have to pull 10 all-nighters with a startup. You know, if, if you have gone to work for a company that you're fully passionate about, that's making positive change, you might have to do things you've never dreamed you'd ever have to do. And mm -hmm. so that's more the story, you know, and yeah, with the Me Too and now, my God, with Jeffrey Epstein and pedophiles mm -hmm. and oh, well, 
thing is just spinning out of control. Um, my message really now is yes, in the gay community, you know, I'm not allowed to say, geez, you know, it wasn't like Billy looked at me and said, you need to go find nine vaginas and sleep with every one of them. Mm. One dick I could handle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a gay man. I'm in my late fifties. I've been around the map. Oh, if I need to save a $25 million music festival by sucking one dick, I'll do it. I'm not going to, I don't, you know, whatever. I'll get the job done and finish it up. Right. But you're not really allowed to kind of say that publicly in the gay world because that's not, a, you know, I guess it's really not a fair assessment for me. My message is often to so many millennials and Gen Z's and Gen X's, which is that, you know, my motto is like, you need, sometimes you need to do whatever it takes. And being the ultimate team player is what's going to make you successful in life, yeah. right? And so, but I'm not, I don't want it to always get back to just find the biggest dick in the neighborhood and suck it. That's not the point. The point is, I mean, geez, I'm sure most know, people would do that for free. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day, as you know, it's it's a it's a difficult world out there, right? And um, most of these kids have been coddled by their parents, and so you know, especially with in, in my business hosting large events, and I'm sure you're well aware. Like we wear a hundred different hats, right? Mm. And so you can't yeah. have these young kids looking and going. When I look around the room and I say, "Okay, John, I need you to do X, Y, Z," and when they look up, they go, "Well, that's not really my, not my job." Yeah. I'm like, oh, do you think it's my job to have to suck every dick in the neighborhood? No, it's not my job. But if I have to do something to make this thing work, go do it, you know? So the kids love that because I think it resonates. And it resonates with the parents, too. We're like, shit, you know, we've coddled our kids. They're, you know, I'm, I don't know how old you are, but my dad was not my best friend. I mean, mm. it was more of a disciplinary. He was a military guy, and he was strict. And it wasn't, I probably shook his hand 10 times in my entire life and never hugged him. Now, oh, I, wow. that's got to be a happy medium there, right? I mean, it's just, that's, a, that's an old waspy New England family. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's kind of tricky now, right, with the whole Me Too and now with this pedophile thing coming all over the place. But I do stand firm and I say, listen, I don't approve of the Me Too, but I think it blew out of control. Right. And and it's just, you know, I, I think historically, you don't think like the Greek emperors, there weren't sexual favors. You don't think in politics for the last couple hundred years, there are not sexual favors every once in a while to get a job done? Absolutely. But it's not something I'm promoting. But somehow I told the story, which leaked out to the entire world. <laughs> Well, I think there's a there's quite a fine line between you know uh, partaking in sexual favors to get ahead and um, being taken advantage of by someone who's in a position of power, for example. Yes. Yeah. But it was funny because when I watched the documentary, I didn't actually realize that you were gay. Do you get that a lot? Right. No, totally. I'm not. That's why it's fascinating now with my with my fame. And you get so many of these younger people who are like, gosh, I wish you were my dad, not my daddy, you know, not my sugar daddy. I just wish you were my dad. Like you love to sail and you play golf and tennis, but you 
but you're also gay, but you dress, dress conservatively. I'm not a big flag waver, you know. I sort of try to keep my sexuality more to myself, but um, I don't, you know, that's another controversial piece for me, which is like gay pride. You know, I was asked to be, you know, participate in a lot of different gay pride scenarios last year, which I couldn't do due, due to my travel schedule. And then this year, obviously, most of the gay pride things have, you know, unfortunately been curtailed because of COVID. But I don't like to push it down people's throats, you know. I'm the popular gay guy because, let me explain, like, in my event business, I reaped a huge amount of success at a young age because I could go on any trading floor at in any huge investment banking firm where I did all of their large events, but I was always dressed in a beautiful suit and I wasn't screaming, you go girl. You know, I was like, Hey guys, how are you? Good. How are you? Now they knew I was gay and guess what? They're like, Hey Andy, don't tell anybody, but would you take me shopping next week? I just, you know, I love your flair and all the clothes you wear. And I just, I don't want to tell anybody that I hate all of my clothes. I'm like, sure, Joe, no problem. You know, another guy comes up, Hey, it's my anniversary next week or my wife's birthday. Uh, I don't know where to begin. Can you help me? You know, and I quickly became, if you've done the, any, found this in the research, you know, I was America's first corporate concierge in 1993. And I was profiled on the front page of the wall street journal. I was on the front page of the New York post, the, the, the national Enquirer. It was, you know, as America's first corporate concierge, because I just could get any job done for anybody. And that was just keeping my sexuality down to a low key, but I have great taste like a gay man and I love beautiful things. And you know, the world loved that. Well, talking of um, beautiful things, <laughs> yeah. I want to move on to your new boyfriend. Who you just, uh, I saw that you did the Instagram post, um, which was really <laughs> sweet. And I, do you know, I'm such a sucker for, any kind of a, a romance story, especially like a gay love one. Um, so can you tell us a bit about like how you guys met? Uh, well, um, it was funny because we met, I can't even, let's see, what was, I don't, can't tell you all the dates, but you probably figure it out. But we met a year before fire. Oh, and, okay, yeah. Uh, for one day at a bar called The Waterfront on Venice Beach outside of L.A. And he was traveling the States and visiting friends, and he was in for a few weeks. And we literally, I was standing at the bar. It was at lunchtime and getting a drink, and he was standing there getting a drink, and we just started chatting away, and that was it. And he left, and I left, and I'm sure I flew back to New York. And then fire hit, and... Sweet Craig tried to reach out to me on Instagram. But at that point, I think my team had set up an Instagram account for me, which I'd never had before, but I had no idea how to check it. Or I didn't, I didn't even, you know, that's a joke. I didn't even know what a DM was. So, I, you know, message me all you want, but I don't, I don't see them. Then he tried to message me on Facebook. Well, of course, all the stalkers come out on Facebook, so I don't really do Facebook anymore because it just, you know how, People can always tell when you're on. Oh, yeah. You get like four marriage proposals a day. God, well, if I turn on Facebook and all of a sudden I got bloop, bloop. Oh, Andy. Hey, how you doing? I see you're on. I'm like, oh, my God. How do you know I'm on? Is there a button to turn off? I can't even, you know. So I didn't see a message on 
Facebook either. So those are the two things. So Q Craig finally sent me, are you ready for this? Sent me a message on LinkedIn. Oh, I thought you were going to say a pigeon carrier. No, LinkedIn. And I mean, do you think that's a gay app? Absolutely not. And somehow it came up on my phone, LinkedIn uh, message from Craig McBlain. I'm like, God, that sounds funny, but I have no idea who that is. I don't know, you know. So I pulled up on my phone and it said, said, hi, Andy. Um, My name is Craig McBlain and I'm from a little town called Ayr in Scotland. And we met a year ago on Venice Beach for 15 minutes at a bar. And he said, it wasn't even a gay bar, you know. And um, he said, uh, I... You know, I'm not out. Nobody knows I'm gay. And, um, but I really think you're handsome and, um, I love chatting with you. And, uh, I'm coming to the States in a next month and I'm coming to California. And I didn't know if you were going to be in California, if we could get together. So I wrote him and I've just happened to be hosting one of the big pre Oscar parties in Beverly Hills. And our schedules were not jiving. And I was flying out on Thursday afternoon after my event was on Wednesday or I was flying out Friday, whatever it was. And then he said, he wrote and said, oh, would you consider staying one extra day so we could have lunch? And I said, well, all right. And I changed my plan. So we met again on Venice Beach. But obviously this time it was a little bit different because I couldn't walk anywhere and without being mobbed and so there was poor craig who's not out and none of his family or friends know that he's gay and he was meeting me for lunch and so people just kept taking our pictures wherever we were and um it was a little bit nerve-wracking for him but it was totally cute and we just hit it off in an amazing way but the funny thing is is that he was actually visiting another man who was in la and um, so I said, we had our lunch and that was it. And he was going back into L.A. to see this other person where he was staying. And I said, well, well, you know, I'd love to see you again. And I was so nice. I said, hey, why don't we have dinner tonight? You can bring your friend. I don't care. But um, he didn't. He did his own thing. And the next day I just said, well, I'm flying back to New York. Um why don't you come with me? Oh. <laughs> and he said, well, I can't really leave now yet because I'm here visiting somebody else. But how about the next day? <laughs> I said, fine. So he flew to New York the next day uh, for two days. And we went to the theater and had a wonderful dinner. And, um, and then he went back to L.A. And then, of course, that wasn't enough. And I said, well... Um, I'm heading to New Orleans in a few days and I'd love to have you join me. So then he flew back from LA to New Orleans to join me there. And we had a magical few days there. And then I said, well, we're on our way to Miami. I'm on my way to Miami for a, a strategy session with a management team. Why don't you come with me? So he came with me and that's where the post hit the first photo of us with my assistant, Alex, Alexandra, at Ultra. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm not being funny. I think I've been to that bar on Venice Beach. I used to go to Venice Beach every weekend. I'm like, where is my love story? <laughs> uh, nice. Well, we love Venice Beach and um, the waterfront's become very popular and it was challenging because there were, people were taking my picture every two seconds. But um, we still managed to have something nice to eat and um, played the game a little bit. And that was the start. And what, what I kind of noticed about your, uh, was your post where you said like, like finally kind of after all of these years it's happened for you um and i think were were you ever kind of tempted to settle over the years um yes but you know in my world of being the big event planner and on the go constantly and with a house in greece and a house in florida and a boat in the caribbean and a house in new york and a place on cape cod and a place outside of new york city i mean i never stopped for years ever and there just wasn't time for a relationship and i would meet people every once in a while and have dates here and there but um it just i just never folded it into my life you know i just kept thinking oh this is just too complicated and then truth be told i met somebody years ago and we were together, he was much younger as well, and we were together for a year and a half. I didn't see many people, and this was in 2006 and seven and eight, maybe, 2006, seven, and I lost him to heroin. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. So that was a bit of a challenge, and I finally, after that, said, you know what? I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to be Andy, and that's all I can handle. Um I have a crazy life and I have eight brothers and sisters and 21 nieces and nephews and I have nine stepbrothers and sisters and I have, I mean, just the list goes on. Um, and I didn't carve out time, you know, I just kept very busy. And then when I met Craig, I knew he was the one and, um, it was really cute, really sweet. Um, the challenge was, of course, he wasn't out. So we had to, we spent, a lot of time together last summer um, in Canada because he has a, a, a had a two year visa for Canada but not for the states. So I ended up renting some houses up in Canada for most of last summer, um, and then he went back to Scotland in the fall to tell his family and all his friends that he was gay. Oh wow! No, um, and so he told a handful of them. I think his parents, um, you know. Uh, have to adjust more as friends. He wasn't sure what the reaction was going to be. But what's amazing is that when we finally did the post last week, whenever it was last week, two weeks ago, the pouring of the outpouring of love for him from all of from people in the UK was amazing. Just saying, we're so proud of you and we're thrilled and we're so glad you're happy. And all the girls are like, Oh my God, we never knew because he slept with so many of the girls are like, I never knew you were gay. Wow. Um, so it was really a big, big step because people often would write, geez, Andy, you know, during COVID or during a lot of different things, um, there you are with Thor, but we want to know who is taking your picture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was going to say something like, well, meet the guy behind the camera, but I've decided to say meet, you know, after waiting 58 years. So, you know, it's true. You really can. You know, the the challenge, of course, is that the older you get, the more set you get in your ways, you know, and you just like life a certain way. And sometimes it's hard to weave somebody in, especially someone that's a lot younger. But Craig has a 
uh, as you know, an, he's filled with old people's wisdom. <laughs> he loves it, and he doesn't. He doesn't have to be up till five a.m., and he doesn't mind spending time on the farm and spending time on the boat. And you know, obviously, COVID has been a true test too to a relationship because we're together forty-eight hours a day, and that can be challenging, right? Um, but I don't. I haven't driven him crazy yet, and we. We converted my beautiful sun porch into a gym, um, which, of course, is where he is now. And um, so that makes him quite happy. So he can work out whenever he wants and because we, we can't go to our big gym anymore. Right, and, yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, so, but, you know, he's been amazing where he's never, you know, we have a 400-acre farm. So there's a lot of work that we do here, which most of the world can't picture, but Yesterday, we were out on both tractors, out there mowing trails, and we built this huge vegetable garden, which we're harvesting, and um, we're about to begin to start picking about a million blackberries, which we have growing throughout all the fields, um, and we're just super compatible, so we're really lucky. So I try to tell people, you know what? You never know, and don't give up hope, right? That was, that was the thing that I loved. Uh, to be honest, and I know it was just like a little hashtag, but it was the don't give up hope type thing. I was like, oh, do you know what? That's that's really sweet, and I love I love the kind of message that it puts out there. It's nice, but, you know, I will say, out of all of the outpouring of love, you know, there were a couple haters, but we have to expect that, right? Of and, course, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about. You know, Yeah, they, they were really lucky, Anthony, like literally, and... Craig was pretty good about just deleting them. So it wasn't going to upset me, but there were a couple people that were like, Oh, Andy, what a creep. I mean, he's young enough to be your grandson. What are you? That's creep. You're disgusting. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like age is just a number, you know? And yes, I'm attracted to someone that's younger than I am, but he happens to be attracted to someone who's older than he is. And so it's a great match, but um, there were a handful of people out there, but thank God, you know, all of my friends and family, everybody just adores him yeah. because they see how genuine he is. And, and what, what it, is the age difference, if you don't mind me asking? I think it's like 32 years. Oh, okay. I didn't even think it was that much. Yeah. Well, I'm a young 80-year-old. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be 59 tomorrow. No, Friday. Oh, happy birthday for Friday. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that was um, that was the point I was going to make about, you know, you're, you're always going to have people commenting about age gap relationships. Um, anything from, even if it's, even if the person's 10 years older than the other, people are always going to have their opinions on it. Yes. Um, I, I think so too. But, you know, we it's sort of one of the challenges that I'm hoping to be able to help overcome and help Craig overcome would be, you know, with his family and some friends and people in the UK where, you know, what's the immediate visual, right? Anthony is that he's a boy toy mm. and that he's just some young fling thing for me, which is not the case at all. And that's not, you know, I lost a ton of money in 2008, like many people. And, um, yes, we drive beautiful cars and we live on a 400 acre farm and we're, pretty lucky to have our life, but we still have to work hard. Like my business, as you can imagine, has halted overnight with COVID. Sure. Uh, 
And you can imagine, like, I have, my speaking tours have stopped. My, my large events are all canceled. Yes, we're working on a couple pretty amazing projects. Um, and hopefully they're coming to fruition. We'll see. You'll hear about them very soon. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Craig's a worker. And he's a, you know, we're not, that's the connotation, you know, in the gay world. And even that was a struggle for many years, Anthony. And I'm sure you probably f faced it with peers and friends where, you know, in the gay world, I love being on a boat and large sailboats, you know. And so, but being on a sailboat or even a big motorboat is work. And so when I would go to any large events that were, you know, with gay, there'd be other gay people there and they go, oh, Andy, you know, and I'd meet some cute kid and you go oh my god Andy you're so handsome I said thank you I'd say oh, I'd love to go out on a date we'd go on a date excuse me um, we'd go on a date and then he'd say oh um, well keep me in mind if you want to have someone who wants to go shopping with or oh. is going to <laughs> with or theater I'm like what are you fucking talking about like I have a farm I go to the farm on weekends from the city I'm on a tractor I'm in my gardens I have dinner parties constantly I mean Oh, oh no, I don't think that's a good match. I'm like, oh my word. And then I talk to people, I say, listen, do you like being on a boat? Well, yes, if there's a large sun deck and a large chaise and someone's bringing me drinks, I'm like, well, no. Um, we pack picnics and we, we make drinks, but we also pull in the sails and do whatever on and on and on. So you can see where I'm going with this. It's like, sure. I don't want, like, I don't want the world to think that Craig is some boy toy because that's not the case at all, you know? Do you find that to have offensive, boy toy? Do I what? Do you find it, like, offensive? Yeah, I, I mean, because I'm not that guy and neither is Craig, you know? I thought a boy toy was just a term for somebody that was younger and that was it. It's not like a um, sugar baby. I think a boy toy for me would be someone who's completely kept, you know? Oh, Where, really? Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, maybe I'm totally wrong because I'm certainly not on the scene. But I always thought like, oh, the boy toy is like, oh, yeah, he just lies by the pool, chews gum, wears a cute <laughs> and does nothing <laughs> except you have sex with him. I'm like, OK, well, it's a lot more to do here. Uh, I just thought it was more like, you know how, you know, in heterosexual relationships, they would have the say like the cougar who was like the older lady and she would have the boy toy and he was just younger and he was maybe right. more of like a like a play thing at first but it wasn't definitely wasn't kept doesn't kept all right well <laughs> I, but you can see like in hollywood and you know so many of the um i don't know maybe it's more from older movies where you see the wealthier older actor you know and he always has some young boy that's by the pool not doing much standing in the background doesn't say a lot i was like oh no 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 that's not craig everybody loves craig's accent and they certainly love his tattoos and all his muscles and um but he's filled with wisdom and joy and always has something great to talk about um so i'm very blessed to have found him so with regards to find actually finding somebody, um, you know, obviously you had to wait probably longer than you maybe expected or that you wanted to. Uh, what like, obviously the gay community is, it can be quite fickle when it comes to dating and especially finding love. Uh, what can you like 
What wisdom would you pass on to people of a younger generation who do want to find that? Well, I really think that you should never settle, you know, and you should never feel like, oh, I'm just going to compromise on all my and the things that I love. Um, you know, we're blessed because we're so compatible. Um, and that I see so many gay relationships, which can be very heated, you know, and very, a lot of fighting and up and down and jealousy. And I just feel like there, there is a good match out there for everybody and you need to be patient. And, um, uh, I had always thought that I would be introduced to somebody, um, through a friend of a friend, you know, even in the heterosexual world, that's how it works, right? It's like, oh my God, you got to meet my friend Andy. Um, and every setup that I had just never really quite worked. Um, but I feel like for younger people, go for it. And if you, you know, if you're, if Craig hadn't reached out to me on LinkedIn, we wouldn't be together today. Mm. That's funny. Go for it. What do you have to lose, right? Right. And that's the, I think that's the motto. Go for it. If you've, you, if there's someone out there that, that you're, you've got the hots for and that you're intrigued by, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're not going to answer or they say no. But, right. And we all get think, over that. Yeah. Most people are too scared, right? Mm. And poor Craig, when he did write in the LinkedIn, he said, but if you think this is crazy for some young kid from the UK to be writing you, just please delete this message immediately <laughs> and don't share it with anyone. Oh, it was so cute. Um, so I think that's my biggest message is go for it, you know, yeah, go for it. And you know, I think that's, uh, that's a, that's a really great positive point for us to, to round up on. What you, what you, what's coming up for you? Do you have anything, any new projects that you want to talk about? Um, Let's just say that I am in dialogue um, about launching a podcast, so that's kind of fun. Oh, fun. Uh, you can have me on as a guest then. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, I'll be talking to people about doing whatever it takes, but also um, that I want to talk to people who are doing different things that maybe they haven't done before and making positive change, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody in this world is, is supposed to do the same thing their entire lives, you know? Um, and that, um, I'm hoping, you know, I mean, for instance, Craig has been showing me cute Zach Efron, you know, now he has this new series on, on YouTube or on, um, Netflix, Netflix. And he's driving positive change in the world of sustainability and traveling around the world and highlighting all these amazing things when it comes to, you know, renewable energy or nature or on and on and on. Now, you would never have thought that, right? Um, and he's doing something completely different than just being a sex symbol in, in, in movies. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm looking forward to talking to a lot of people about different things that they're up to right now. Um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, don't be surprised if you hear a little something about another music festival, but we're not talking about it yet. Oh, okay. Interesting. I'll wait for my invite. <laughs>
Yes, it's going to be amazing. Let me just say that it's going to be zero waste. Um, and my goal now, obviously, is to inspire young kids today to make better choices and good decisions and predominantly focusing on social environmental impact. So it will tie in everything from Black Lives Matter to, you know, saving the oceans to highlighting young people doing amazing things today in that realm and doing it all around incredible music and in an incredible location. And I'm hoping that it'll be one of the first big high profile things to come out shortly after COVID-19 is behind us. Oh, amazing. Do you know what? It sounds really good and like you're definitely going to be having a positive impact with that festival. And I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you. Well, you know, it's the festivals can be very, very wasteful and, and very controversial. And, and, you know, I think large events are going to have a different, a whole different view and they're going to be a whole different platform after COVID-19, right? So yes. a lot of practices and a lot of cool things. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to help spearhead all that coming fresh out of the gate. Well, definitely let us know when it's up and under the way. You got it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was lovely to speak to you. Absolutely. And uh, I'm as far away as your phone. If you ever have any secret questions, I'm right here. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> have a great evening. You're listening to Cocktails and Confessions.